So I took some tears off my eyes and I, and I put it on his forehead. Listening to Let Your Voice Be Heard. It's a logical fallacy, and I, I know that, but, you know, as always, maybe the rest of the panel can tell you, I play a bit of the uh, devil's advocate because I am the lone black Republican up here. He just made a fool out of himself. I mean, you can look at Dennis Rodman and think he's making a fool out of himself. You know Barack Obama, what he was like, anti-war, government... Uh, the... Boy, that escalated quickly. I got to jump into a rally to save a hospital here in Brooklyn in just a minute. I stopped working on my dissertation the second my grandmother died. I am a blazing liberal. Who can uh-huh. have a Republican-leaning ideology to give me enough beers? No, I got to get you that Illuminati thesaurus. Once you get that, you're going to be able to speak the same language I can speak. Now, a white person with a criminal record is more likely to get a job than a black person without one. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. The point of financial stability and economic justice is that you're free from confines of society and you have more freedom and to make your own choices. Just in general, people who have money tend to have more access to resources to be able to use in their defense versus people that don't have money. So you see a lot of, you know, lower, and and that's really a class issue, and and race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard. Good morning, y'all. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Morning. Happy rainy Sunday. And the Five Borough Bike Tour. Happy inconvenient bike tour day because Alyssa and I both got like stuck behind the bike tour. She was taking public transportation. I was driving and it was a mess, but we made it. We made it. And I'm happy to be here. My name is Selena Hill. And I'm Alyssa Fuchs. And we're going to have Tiffany joining us in just a few minutes. Right. So if you guys are wondering, where's Stanley, right? Because he's not interrupting me and he's not sitting in the seat if you're watching via Ustream. I think he's in Flint, Michigan. Like, I get confused. You know, Stanley does a million things. So he's actually... Um, he went to go get poisoned. I, yeah. He wanted some dirty water. But no, he's... he's, he's um, I think he's with activists and, you know, doing a lot of good deeds 
in Flint, things that need to be done. Um, you know, we spoke about Flint at least three times on this show. And, you know, they're still in a very poor condition. So shout out to Stanley for go- making his way there with his um, job, his company, and really, you know, putting in some work. We all need to do that, whether we donate, whether we talk about it. You know, we need to make sure we keep our eyes on Flint because if not, they will forget about them. We forget about communities, disenfranchised communities all the time, right? Welcome to America. But... We actually have a great show. Alyssa, did you give out your social information? I did. I did. I did. But um, anyways, if I didn't already. um, Oh, no. My social media information. So my name is Alyssa Fuchs. Uh, You can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs with an I. uh, Or you can find me on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs, also with an I. Or you can leave a comment on the fan page, Politically Preposterous, which is at Poll Preposterous on Twitter or Politically Preposterous on Facebook. Definitely. And my name is, again, Selena Hill. But on Twitter and Instagram, it's Miss Selena Hill, spelled with an MS, because you don't need to know my marital status, okay? So it's MS, Selena, traditionally, like Gomez Hill. We have such a great show planned ahead. I mean, are you guys still sipping lemonade? I know I am. That, I mean, we're we're definitely going to just dig really deep into lemonade, Black feminist politics, feminism itself, black womanhood, B herself. Oh, my God. It's just so much to talk about, right? I know Drake's album just dropped a few days ago. Actually, a few hours ago, like like 48 hours ago or something like that. But, I mean, I heard, like, a lot of my people are like, oh, no, I'm still sipping lemonade like Drake. You need to, like, give me a minute because this is emotional right now, right? And especially um, for me as a black woman, uh, that song, that, that visual album definitely resonated and if you do your research, Beyonce was paying so much tribute to not only African-Americans and our struggle here, but Africans. And basically in Nigeria, in West Africa, like there's so many roots tied to you know African tribalism and her ancestral roots. I mean, it's just really, really deep. And then, I mean, there's so many messages when she comes when she talks about infidelity. Right. She talks about um, freedom for, for black people and mothers who had their sons die. I mean, oh, we can go on and on. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about a topic that has literally brought tears to my eyes. Do you guys know that the Great Barrier Reef is dying? It's bleaching in Australia, like 93% of it. Like I like snorkeling is one of my favorite pastimes, right? I was like, what? We're killing something that is so beautiful, like something that is a part of um, such a huge ecosystem um, and provides so much life for ocean, uh, for, for um, animals and plants in the ocean. And it's just dying because why? Because climate change, because why? Because of us, because of capitalism, because of greed. I get upset. I really do. And then later on the show, Alyssa is going to be dropping some quickie knowledge about governor Bob McDaniel of Virginia. Right. So he was convicted of bribery charges, But the Supreme Court might overturn that. I mean, when you talk about political corruption and people just getting away with things, this is a prime example. So we're definitely going to talk about that. And it's actually really interesting from my perspective because, you know, from a criminal defense perspective, I'm looking at the arguments that his lawyers are making and I'm going, you know, as much as I really don't like him, they sort of have an interesting legal point that in some ways I really agree with, even though I don't like Governor McDonald. So... That's a very interesting thing when somebody starts making arguments in favor of somebody that you wouldn't normally agree with and you kind of have to shake your head and be like, 
Hmm, that's interesting. So. That is no. I can't wait for that quickie rant rundown, Alyssa. When you break it down again, guys. If you want to let your voice be heard, you can call us up at two one two. Six five zero six nine zero three. You can also tweet us at be heard underscore radio, and you can hit up Alyssa's page, uh, politically preposterous, facebook.com slash politically preposterous. Yeah, we always get some good comments there. So we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, we're gonna be sipping lemonade. I hope y'all are ready. This is let your voice be heard. I saw you trying to roll me up. Welcome back, guys. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs. And we have special guest with us, Tiffany Brown. Ooh, hello, everyone. I love your jacket. <laughs> thank you. you. Thank you for having me. No, Morning, thank Tiffany. you. Tiffany, you came on the show how many times? Once before? Once. I felt like it was like three times. But yeah, we have. Maybe one day. Right. <laughs> right. No, no, you'll definitely be back. So like FYI, guys, Stanley's not here. Jackie's not here. But the show must go on because we've been sipping lemonade and we have a lot to talk about. Right. Yeah. I actually drank lots of lemonade last night. <laughs> and with, it, with, with something like some vodka in it or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you do that in honor of Beyonce? Um, I mean, me, me and Alexis were having a little Beyonce listening party last nice. night while we were pre-gaming. And then we went out and we were like, you have to play Beyonce prince but we didn't hear beyonce but we definitely heard prince nice see Alyssa's always doing the fun stuff right and i always tell selena to come out with me and she never does i didn't get the invite last night and i was doing something where was i i was in the bronx (laughs) i was in the bronx it was yeah i had a fun time okay so guys first question for you just one word if you could describe lemonade right your initial reaction to lemonade in one word what would it be I gotta do one word. Just one word, really quickly. Don't think about it. What was your what, one word? It was black. Black. <laughs> <laughs> I and I it. say that in, in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> Tiffany, girl. One no. word. Girl. 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 Okay. <laughs> girl. <laughs> I love it. So, <laughs> my reaction was scary. Right. Like, that was how I would describe it. And I was literally, I even made a snap about it. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm scared. I felt like it was very dark. It was gothic. Beyonce, I didn't know Beyonce was a zombie or a ghost in many parts. And then I'm like, you know, she's portraying a scorned woman who went through every emotion after being betrayed and cheated on by her husband. And I was like, well, Beyonce did it again, right? Everyone is talking about her new art album and the fact that she is a marketing genius. So Lemonade is Beyonce's sixth album. She dropped an hour-long film that premiered on HBO on April 23rd, and it's been days, and we're still sipping Lemonade. Um, It's only available on Tidal, right? Because her and Jay-Z need to make that money. And you can also purchase it on iTunes. More than likely, it'll be on Apple Music and Spotify in some time. But... Both the film and the music reflects and focuses on race, 
the experience of black women, infidelity and rage. I think that's why I was just like, oh, my God, Beyonce, this is scary. But you know what? It was it was in a good way because she was really like just um, tapping in and channeling that that rage that she had. Um Apparently, any woman would have if you've been cheated on. So there are many parts um, when in Lemonade where Beyonce also pays an ode to black arts and culture. Like she goes beyond the history of black Americans and the challenges that marginalized black people still face today. If you look closely, there are so many large influences, symbols and imagery of African tribalism and cultural practice. There's even... Um, a, a strong influence from Somali poet um, Warsan, who served as the African influence, um, who served as African influence in this aspect. The fact that her, her poems were adapted in a lot of the album and you hear Beyonce reciting that spoken word. Then you have the fact that Beyonce and her black dancers were re- wearing traditional African and African-American hairstyles. Like she definitely had the cornrows. Her, um, her dancers were rocking like afros and I loved it. And I was like, Kim Kardashian like Kardashians this is where it started from like when I was a little girl I had to get cornrows it wasn't it wasn't even something cute like I I remember when I was little I'd be like mom why can't I wear my hair out like why can't Mm -hmm. I wear it like my friends and she was like um she she really had difficulty explaining it but you know she was just like you know one day you will but she didn't want to perm my hair that early and have my hair break out so I think that you know if I was a little girl now and I saw Beyonce rocking those same cornrows that I went through pain to put in my hair like once a week I would feel a little different so I was really happy that you know she was really just um channeling her roots like that and this is something you don't see necessarily from a mainstream pop artist right so Besides the tributes to, you know, African culture and Nigeria and African religions, things that we typically call like voodoo and black magic, but is very spiritual and has like a lot of roots to your ancestry and it celebrates women. Um, You know, this is what she's doing. And on top of that, she's also tackling the themes of love, lust, desire, betrayal, pain, empowerment. And she's doing it with such boldness, something that we have not seen to this level degree. um, Pretty much. She just took it to the next level. And then she talks about her, her jealousy and her rage. And it's powerful that she's able to translate all of these messages in like one body of art. Right. I mean, powerful is another word I think that describes that. And I definitely want to get your reaction um, you know, what, what, like in, in more than one word, what was your reaction? Yeah, so I have twofold on that. One about, you know, just personal airing of personal grievances. I was surprised how much of her personal life Beyonce put out there for other people. And obviously it's it's music and, you know, you don't know exactly what's going on. I mean, she didn't like give exact details like, hey, Jay cheated on me with this girl. But like she gave you enough about her personal life, especially for Beyonce, who like doesn't often talk to the press. A lot of people doesn't give interviews stuff like that on the other note to get back to what i said in the one word answer about it being black to me it showed that beyonce really has no f's left to give anymore because (laughs) when beyonce first came out it was like she did what was mainstream right she did a lot of pop hits a lot of stuff that would like play in the club that would play on the radio stuff that would reach a like a wider audience and now i feel like beyonce's gotten to the point where she's like "Uh uh-uh i'm making an album that reflects my blackness and because I'm beyond caring about 
you know, needing to reach this white audience. And if they don't like it, too bad. And if they like it, great. I'm glad to have them listen to it. But if you're going to get offended about it, like those people did around the Super Bowl, then she doesn't care. And now she's in a position where she doesn't have to care because she's already made her money, like having to play into that in the in the past. No, so, yeah, Tiffany? For me, when I say girl, it was just like Beyonce, you took it to the next level. And we always kind of expecting that because it's Beyonce, whether, whether it was the surprise album or, you know, whether her, you know, she just dropping something that we were not expecting. But for me, I feel like Beyonce was always black, you know, <laughs> she she never stopped being black. I did think she made music that made, you know, white folks comfortable. But in this album, from start to finish, you clearly saw that, you know, it wasn't that she was like now proud of her black heritage. She was just I feel like. With Black Lives Matter, everything that's been happening, and we're seeing that, you know, a lot of people, like, you know what, like, I don't care what white people say. I'm going to live my truth as a black person, as a marginalized person. And I think this album really reflected that. And I was, like, doing some research on it, you know, not those quick, like, hot takes that we see on Twitter or Facebook. And just, like, the landscaping that she chose when she had the um, young women sitting in the trees. And they, they were saying that it was on a plantation. I was like, Beyonce was going deep. She had some sociologists mm-hmm. on her team. She had some <laughs> girls that majored in urban studies, <laughs> kind of studies. She was like, listen, we're going deep for this album. And I feel like every from the from the hairstyles to what they were wearing to, like I said, the landscape, it all was very personal to what, you know, being black in America is or just being, you know, being from the black diaspora. So for me, like, that album was, like, spiritual. It was like, I needed a healing. And, like, that's what she gave to us. And the way she ended with the mothers of, you know, of the victims of police brutality, it was just like, she's not letting you white folks forget (laughs) that these mothers are in pain, these families are in pain, that this is a real thing that's happening in the black America, especially in the United States. So we have to talk about these issues. And if you feel uncomfortable, you have to deal with that uncomfortableness. Why are you uncomfortable? And it can't be just, you know, you have to sit down and shut up and do what we're used to as Piers Morgan would like her to do. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, I mean, even just looking at, like you pointed out some of the imagery, but and I know you did also, but even like just the the way that the film was woven together, it reminded me of something that Michael Jackson would have done. And we don't see a lot of that. I know Selena and I were talking about that on Thursday. We don't see a lot of that anymore, like a full-length kind of feature where people just are like wowed by it and it's out there and it's got imagery and it's got symbolism and it, you know it's got all the things that you already mentioned so i thought that was really interesting about it there's also this issue of the surprise album and the surprise release. And that is really a nature more of the internet generation. Um, and you used to need a lot of marketing when you're going to release an album. And now the best way to do it sort of is just to let social media market it itself. So um, on that note, I'm going to actually switch gears for a second. So one of the main themes in uh in Lemonade was infidelity. Um, and it, it reoccurs throughout the entire, the entire um I want to say, we'll call it, are we going to call it a visual album and obviously musical accompaniment? So the question for you guys is, what message does Beyonce send about infidelity in this album? And how does that message resonate with you? Selena? Um, So I think that what Beyonce did brilliantly is channel the pain that women 
feel when it comes to being betrayed and especially black women and the reason why she did that the reason why i say especially black women is because that line when she says becky with the good hair and mind you i have i'm good i have a editorial coming out that's going to be called becky with the good hair is a woman that all black women know okay so look out for that and let your voice be heard and the reason why is because when it comes to like colorism and institutionalized racism um what colorism has done it has like pitted us against each other right so if you're lighter skinned versus darker skinned like society always says like if you're black you already have five strikes against you but if you're darker if your hair is um kinkier then it's even worse and i think that when beyonce points out that not only did you cheat but you cheated on becky which is a euphemism for white women plies said that back in the 2000 like 2007 when he came out with that song give me my give me that becky so he said you cheated with becky with the good hair she's implying that not only did you make me feel less than by cheating on me in general but you did it with a woman that has eurocentric features like it's it's a basically you're saying that i'm not as good as that woman who looks more white that's what she was saying that's an interesting point because i don't know the superhead who who's uh, uh, acceptance? <laughs> yes. yeah. wrote an article yesterday that a lot of people are talking about and yep. she says that like we every all women are becky mm-hmm. everybody's been a becky and every woman's been a beyonce and she she goes and i'm not saying i agree with her or disagree with her you guys can react but she said that becky's not necessarily a white woman just becky's just somebody that like your man is cheating on you with and every woman has the ability to be a becky but every woman also has the the ability to be a Beyonce, meaning you could be the girl cheating or you could be the girl getting cheated on. I kind of have that same... Uh, take when she said Becky with the good hair I didn't immediately think that she was talking about a white woman I just kind of felt like she used that word as you know like a youth minister just, just throw it out there and be provocative but in terms of infidelity I think what I really appreciate about this album is that she showed anger yeah. and I thought you know anytime you see black women you know angry it's always like they're so angry they got attitude they're bitter they're this that and the third and for Beyonce to show that type of emotion, especially when we're not used to seeing her in that capacity, it was like, that's real. I think anger is a real emotion and it should be expressed more, you know, and in a safe way, you know, in a healthy way. Because I think we live in a society where we think if you're angry or you're upset, like something's wrong with you and, you know, not and you're not really dealing with the issue at hand. I think every woman has dealt with infidelity. And when you talk about like black women, I think, you know, a lot of times black women get pooped on all the time when it comes to infidelity. And everyone's like, well, whatever it is what it is and I think Beyonce was like no this is a real emotion but I also appreciate that you know it wasn't the infidelity where you know you get cheated on you break up and stuff and you're upset but um, also that you could have like you know go into forgiveness for it you know and it, you saw that like full circle that like I'm gonna be angry I'm gonna make your life miserable for a couple months but I'm gonna forgive you but you're gonna, you're gonna have some tough time getting to that forgiveness. Absolutely. And we're actually going to talk about the forgiveness mm-hmm. aspect later on in this segment. I just wanted to point out before we take a quick break, uh, you mentioned the thing about colorism. Another big thing that's mm-hmm. that was uh, going on on the interweb yesterday was this whole thing about Little Kim. Now, oh, apparently yeah. looking very white, which we can talk about more during this segment and also during the News Roundup particularly. But it's interesting that you, you make that comment yep. about uh, the colorism and this whole controversy also surrounding the Little Kim's changing appearance uh, that also happens to 
to be in the news. On your note about anger, I totally agree. My favorite track on the entire album is Don't Hurt Yourself, which is the song where she explicitly That's expresses anger. And I think it's great. And it's a lead in into our next topic, which is feminism, which is a lot of times women are not allowed to express anger. If they do, they're called jealous or crazy, which is also a theme she explores in one of the other songs. On that sure, note, sure. we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about feminism, black empowerment and forgiveness. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and Tiffany Brown. Um, Guys, if you are tuning in and you want to chime in, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. And I just want to throw it out there. So I tweeted like a lot of my friends, what was the word that you would use, that one word you would use to describe lemonade because that's what we're talking about right now and people said flawless powerful and flawed i said scary but i gave some context behind that so you get it right but yeah so i'm gonna just throw it back to um Alyssa, because you said we were gonna be talking about feminism yeah so actually that's a great uh, place to start the song that you were just hearing is six inch heels which is a song that weekend is on and one of the lyrics that uh, you just heard was she already made enough but she'll never leave which essentially is to say that even though she's made a lot of money she's gonna keep doing her thing she's gonna do what's best for her and that's a really uh, another big theme throughout this album which is feminism so the next question I'm going to put out for the panel is do you think that this album spoke to the modern feminist movement and if so how so and we'll start with Tiffany on that question um, I kind of feel like it depends on who you're asking if you were paying attention to the interwebs you know black Twitter especially the black feminist Twitter they loved it you know I definitely think it speaks to the modern age of feminism where you are claiming your agency and you say you know I can be Beyonce and I can swing around that lamppole and wear my six-inch heels on Saturday. And then I could walk into a boardroom on Monday morning. And it was this cool shirt that I saw. It was like uh, Coretta and Cardi B. And for me, I feel like that's what this album explores. That you could be every aspect of a woman. You don't have to be in a box. You don't have to be in a particular category. And I think Beyonce shows that. You know, she showed the hurt side. She showed the angry side. So I definitely think... In terms of feminism, I think this is an album that you could definitely say speaks to the modern feminist who definitely wants to talk about, you know, owning your agency, not, you know, being uh, tied to a particular group or category and exploring all aspects of yourself and not just being limited just based off, you know, patriarchal standards. I absolutely agree with Tiffany. I mean, um, I think that, you know, a big part of feminism is having a choice. Right. And a lot of. uh, one of the themes that I keep seeing and reading about is um, having the agency to have to make choices and not to be put in a box. Like last week we had Tracy G on the show and she was talking about her um, her mantra. She's beauty and the beast, meaning that you can be more than one side. You don't have to just portray this imagery. And I was also reading this other activist who was like, you know what? It's time for us to stand up for black women. The ones you call ratchet, the ones you call thoughts, the one that you call educated, the ones that you call like it doesn't matter what these labels are. Like we just need to be you just need to be a woman and especially a black woman. So, you know, when it comes to feminism, yeah, I think that all feminists can definitely take some parts of lemonade and apply it to their lives. But I think that the album was dedicated and pays tribute to black women. 
And it just so happens that if you are white and you're watching, you can relate. But it's it's very much about black women. I think that's correct. But I also think it does speak to women more generally. And and yes, I think it speaks directly to black women. But I also think there are themes in there that speak to all women. For example, um, the one of the last lyrics on Don't Hurt Yourself is, if you try this word I can't say on the radio again, <laughs> you're going to lose your wife. And that is sort of like, and then in the in the so next song on the track, Sorry, she's like, I'm not sorry. I'm going to go do my thing. Like, I'm not waiting around for you. You're out with Becky. And you know what? I'm moving on. If you're not going to, if you're not going to come be with me, then I'm going to go to the next you know, other word I can't say on the radio and um, and on to the next one. And so I think that's something that speaks to all women, not just black women. And, you know, so there are definitely are themes throughout the album that speak directly to the black feminist movement, but also themes throughout the album that tell women like, you know, you don't have to stick around with some guy that's cheating on you at the same time. And I know we're going to get to this later, so I don't want to skip too far ahead. She's also saying like, you know, if you love somebody, like you also have the willingness to, to forgive them if you want to stay with them. And we're going to get to that later on in the segment. If you have a question or comment, give us a call at 212-650-6903. And, you know, speaking of feminism and black feminism, we're going to move right along to our next topic, which is actually black empowerment. So as Selena's already pointed out, and we've spoke about already during the segment, Beyonce p- paid tribute to both African-American women and to African women in Lemonade. Uh, what lyrics images and symbols stuck out to you why and why do you think those are so important and we'll start with selena on this one (laughs) (laughs) um right so i have been doing so much research on yoruba lately and you know guys i'm just catching up because you know from my understanding she was paying a large tribute to this and i'm going to finish my comment in a minute but uh, tiffany you can just answer that question really quickly. Yeah, jump in right now. Um, for me, I felt like I was ready for the revolution. As soon as I finished in the album, <laughs> I was like, Beyonce, we out. Let's do this. Like, that's what I felt. And I felt like men and women should have walked away from that album feeling the same way. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right about the, the issue about men. I mean, I think men should have walked away with that being like, you know what? Women are powerful and African-American women are powerful. And like, as Selena points out, like, you know, you can't just refer to women um, and also, you know, like to black women as different types of names and call mm-hmm. them this and like expect to have respect for them. Because that's like not only is that disrespectful to women in general, like that's disrespecting your own heritage, your own culture to treat black women like that. Selena? Um, we actually have Miss Deborah on the line who would like to let her voice be heard about the Beyonce album. Miss Deborah? Hi. Uh, I felt that it, it represented black women. If white women, if that's something that they feel the same way about, then fine. But it's not necessary for you to drop something or to take someone else and to have to incorporate something. Because when other people create things about their culture, they don't tell you that this is that. You know what it is because you're looking at it and you see what it is. And she's trying to tell you something. If it applies to you, then fine. If it doesn't, that's fine too. But there are too many facets. There are too many facets that do not represent white females in this, this particular uh, genre. 
I, I definitely agree with that sentiment, Ms. Deborah, and we thank you for calling in. Guys, if you have a question or a comment about Lemonade, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. And another thing that Beyonce was really speaking to was, um, like I was saying, was um, Yoruba. So in the song Sorry, Daddy's Little Girl, Love Drought, and Forward, she's paying tribute to this West African religion and spirituality. Um, and you can see it in her costumes, and you can also see it in the fact that she's portraying like a um you could say like a, a spirit or a goddess named Oshun. Now this is the spirit of um, the river. She's she represents uh, water. <coughs> excuse me, water, love, beauty, sensuality. She's a protector of children. She's a leader of powerful women, and she's also known for wearing honey yellow. So when Beyonce is opening up those two doors in that beautiful honey yellow dress, and you see all of that water coming, just coming like just coming out of the doors, she's portraying Oshun in the flesh and basically another aspect of Ushun is she was also scorned right and one of the one of the big things that um make her so notable is the fact that she was vindictive she had a vindictive temper and sinister smile whenever she was wrong so that's why you see Beyonce smiling laughing and dancing as she's smashing store windows cars and cameras with a baseball bat she is Ushun in the flesh and I know that Azealia Banks um, was tweeting about that at first because I think that she practices Yoruba and she was saying like wow this has witchcraft written all over it she is portraying this 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 goddess I mean um, Azealia Banks calls it witchcraft and not everyone will call that they'll say like this is just my religion this is my spirituality but if you didn't know that like how often do you see african tribalism being portrayed by a mainstream artist in such a large with such a large audience never right like i would have never even looked this up no Um, that's true that's true absolutely tiffany you want to respond to that no it's I completely agree with everything that um, Selena is saying. And it's so true. And that's what I'm saying. Like, this album, just it was so in-depth. It took us to places that we didn't even know that was in Beyonce. And that's what I'm saying. Every time Beyonce drops something, she's going to give us something, a new part of herself. We're going to take it to another level that she's challenging you as a listener. She's challenging all these other artists out there. Because, like you said, if we didn't do this research, I would have never known about Oshun and, like, what she meant, you know, to the people of that other tribe. So it's so interesting that she was able to get to that point. And it was this old clip of a Beyonce that was watching on CNN. And she was like, you know, it's great that I can sell, like, you know, 20 million plus albums. But I want to be a legend. I want right. to be an icon. And, like, Lemonade is definitely making her a legend and an icon. Definitely. I mean, like, for, uh, like I'll give you another example of this. You mentioned Daddy's Little Girl. I mean, this song is really jazz. It's really mm-hmm. Southern. It's really got a Southern feel. It's almost borderline into country, but sort of like that country. country, that country j- where country and jazz sort of in- mix. That's sort of out of the ordinary pop realm for Beyonce, um, but it's tapping into that like Southern roots that she's coming from and her experience of growing up in Texas, growing up in the South, having one parent who you know was from Louisiana. Louisiana and one parent who was from, although I think her father is from Alabama, if I'm not mistaken, because I was looking that up the other day when I wanted to find out more information about her and her dad being estranged. I think he's originally from Alabama. That's what she say, my daddy, Alabama, yeah. my mama, Lucy. And from yeah, Louisiana, and she was raised in Texas. So I think it's not just, uh, you know, African roots, as you point out, but there's also a lot of Southern African-American um, culture in that, which is great, because a lot of times, sometimes when you think of the South, like if you're... Like, there 
I don't know. I'm trying to think of a way to explain this. I think of like a lot of time when I think of the South, I think of just like a very racist culture. I feel like I see a bunch of like, for lack of a better term, like redneck white people like driving around, like waving Confederate flags and like just really racist image images. And so for her to like sort of flip that on its head and be like, I'm going to use Southern images, but I'm going to use ones that like are empowering to black people that, yeah, I'm going to take things from slavery, but I'm also going to use them in a positive aspect. I thought that that was so interesting how she was able to sort of like flip that on right. a set. Selena? Yeah, unlike Kanye, who was walking around with the Confederate flag in his apparel a few years ago. I don't know what that was about, <laughs> but that wasn't empowering Kanye. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, um, another thing that I just wanted to bring up was in Don't Hurt Yourself. That song was really, really powerful. That's a song where she actually plays a clip from Malcolm X's mm-hmm. 1962 speech, Who Taught You to Hate Yourself, where he proclaims that the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Those words are so powerful. And I'm so happy that Beyonce, you know, she she sort of gave us a teaser with the formation performance she did at the Super Bowl where she was wearing yep. the Malcolm acts like apparel I mean the Black Panther mm-hmm. uh, party apparel with her dancers um, and then just putting that those li- putting that speech into the song and it's like it's so true though Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there was definitely, I love the spoken word. The The clips that she picked were definitely picked to have an impact. You pointed out the Somali poet, Malcolm X, and even like her own voiceovers of different things, all, everything, like everything in that video meant something. Like there wasn't anything that didn't, even in Hold Up, when she smashes mm-hmm. the camera, if you're looking really closely, it says N-O-P-D, which is New Orleans Police Department. Oh, so wow. literally everything wow. in there was meant to have that. a symbol and that. to have a reason. <laughs> And go back and watch it again. <laughs> You'll see it, it when she takes out the bat, which even if you notice on the bat, it says hot sauce. Yes. So like literally every piece, every detail was calculated, was thought out, was meant to mean something. On that note, I want to get to our last topic before we end this segment. And the last topic is forgiveness. So obviously, uh, as we've mentioned sort of throughout this segment, towards the end of Lemonade, the last song, uh, which we played for you and we can play it again. She forgives Jay-Z. She takes him back. And even the lyrics to that song, she says, you know, other people want to touch you and kiss you, but, like, I want to be with you. Give me some time to trust you, to gain my trust back, and, like, we can be together. And so I wanted to bring up the concept of forgiveness and what it asked you guys what you thought about the end of Lemonade, um, what do you thought think about her taking uh, Jay-Z back. A lot of people have said, like, no, girl, like, she should have been, like— nope, see you later, like, that would have been the more feminist thing to do, and other people have said no, like, the the feminist thing to do is to do what empowers you the most, even if that means getting back to together with him, so I wanted to get your guys' reactions to that. Tiffany? Um, for me, I feel like I have an interesting take on, like, forgiveness, because I don't necessarily think forgiveness always requires, like, closure with the person, or, you know, you find yourself back with that person, but in the concept of what Beyonce is doing, like, you know, relationships, and especially marriages, are hard. Right. They and take work. They take work, and you go go through trials and tribulation. I think what she was trying, when I said earlier, what she was trying to convey is like, you know, I'll forgive you, but I'm going to put you through everything. I'm going to put you through it all. And I can appreciate that because that, I think that does speak to uh, what a lot of women go through, where it's like you be, you're pissed off, you're angry, and everything in you is telling you not to forgive this person. But for whatever reason, you're going to forgive this person. You're going to try to work towards, you know, becoming a healthy and better and stronger marriage. And if that's going to be your decision, that's your decision. We have to respect 
feeling, you know, in terms of feminism and as, you know, your own empowerment. Because at the end of the day, you have to sleep with that person at night. You have to raise a family with this person. So I can understand why, you know, forgiveness, especially when it comes to infidelity, you know, is so common. And I will never bash mm. a woman or, you know, critically judge a woman for doing so, you know, because at the end of the day, you have to live with that decision for the rest of your life. But I also want, you know, to just understand that when you do forgive someone, you have to make sure that you're actively working towards, you know, a new foundation that if you're going to forgive a person, you're not going to always bring it up. You're not going to live in the past. And I think that's where it always breaks down when you forgive a person, but you didn't really forgive them because you're still angry and you're hurt and you need to take time to let that hurt go and work through that pain. Well, I think that's such an interesting point because of the fact it's the last song in the mm-hmm. album and there's so many songs before that she lets out sort of some of that hurt, some mm-hmm. of that pain yep. so that she could get to that place of forgiveness. Selena? Um, so the thing is, I'm so glad that Beyonce talked about forgiveness and obviously she's talking about it in the context of forgiving a a spouse who's committed a marital affair, right? Or cheated or um, some act of infidelity. But I think that forgiveness is so powerful and there's so much strength in forgiveness Um, in general, no matter who has hurt you or, or scarred you. Because the thing is, if you don't forgive that other person and truly like let that go, you become that. And a lot of times, like if you, you know, whatever trauma you experience in your life, whether you're it's at a child, a child or a first relationship, like or your first love, um, what, what happens is you start to adapt those same like tendencies, right? You become, especially if you were abused, a lot of times you'll become the abuser. Um, and I think that the, the most powerful way to just really let that go and to free yourself is by forgiving. Now, I'm, you know, if you forgive a spouse, I'm not saying you should stay with them, right? Especially like if you're like, you know what? My the father of my children cheated or he did this and I'm leaving, do it. You know, all the power for you. But I still think you need to forgive because if mm-hmm. you hold on to that, you might take that out on those children, you mm-hmm. know, especially if they look like the father. But it, like when you don't forgive, like it eats at you, right? Yes. It, it sits yes. inside, like it continues to build. So at some point, like you have to be like, all right, I don't have to like this person, but I at least have to let some of it go in order for me to move on, for me to grow. Um, I know we're going to, you have a response to that? No, I was just going to say, if we can just get 30 seconds of closing statements from the panel. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm going to take 30 seconds of closing statements from everybody. But before we get there, I have one more toss-up question oh. for you, which is Lemonade spawned a lot of memes on the internet, a ton of them, like like 5,000 of them I've seen. Um, so I'm sure you've seen some of them too. What was your favorite Lemonade meme? Do you have one? <laughs> oh, the one where, um, there were so many where Jay-Z, where like basically he was looking back like, oh, like he had a face of shocked and like oh my god Beyonce we're feeling the, the wrath of Beyonce like I like those a lot what was your favorite I think it was like the Mr. Crab meme when you know like Mr. Crab and he's like looking all crazy and like some random Beyonce lyric from, so I think that was my favorite you one you want to know what my favorite one was yes. it was a tweet that a black woman sent out it was a picture of Hillary Clinton and it said Hillary Clinton to black voters I got cheated on by Becky with the good hair too <laughs> That was my favorite yeah. one by far. On that note, before we wrap up, I want to take closing statements from everybody. I'm going to actually leave this to you guys. I've said everything that I needed to say. Uh, Tiffany, let us know what you're feeling about Lemonade. What are your final thoughts? My final thoughts on Lemonade is that one, it, didn't, it continues to show that Beyonce is a musical genius, but also her, you know, her her contribution to, like, the directing world and her imagery, like, you know, this is going to be nominated, for, well, hopefully they're submitting it for an Emmy. Mm-hmm. So for me, I just felt like 
there's also so empowering for, you know, little black girls to see that, you know, you just don't have to be a dancer or a singer. You could be so involved in different areas when it comes to entertainment. And this is definitely, I feel like, a rally cry for black women. It's a rally cry for black people. And we should definitely take this and really digest this album because it was so much influences from African culture or black American culture. It's so much that we can learn from this album. And we definitely should not treat it as a marketing ploy or just another way for her and Jay-Z to have, you know, be in the limelight because she was making millions before Lemonade came out, you know? And I definitely think we need to really take what she's saying into consideration, whether it's about love and fidelity and, you know, just just being a black woman in America and appreciate what she's saying and, and honor what she's saying. Absolutely. No, Selena? No, absolutely right. I, I agree with that. And, you know, me as a socially conscious human being, I always appreciate when artists, especially those with platforms as big as Beyonce, use their influence for the greater good and raise the level of consciousness when i watched eric gardner's mother in the in that in, in freedom and i watched michael brown's mother shed a tear while holding a, this, a picture of her son i felt that pain and i was like thank you b thank you like we need that we need to show america that there is there is pain there is struggle when it comes to black women but it's also so much resilience like we've made it through the middle passage which she brings up we made it from africa from west africa from ghana and we made it here and we still kept tight on a lot of customs and a lot of even religious practices um and, and another point that was really big too that uh, that she brought up was you know just the theme making lemons making lemonades from lemon and like from lemons now her grand her great-grandmother i think was like 90 years old mm -hmm. and she's the one who said that and she was like i was handing down lemons but i made lemonade as black women that's like a part of your mantra right mm -hmm. it's 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 just the becoming of who you are and i think that beyonce portrayed that really well and i give her so much kudos and so much respect and on that note we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we're going straight into the news roundup right here on let your voice be heard I'm not broken, I'm not crying, I'm not crying You ain't trying hard enough, you ain't loving hard enough You don't love me deep enough, we not reaching peaks enough Blindly in love, I fucked with you till I realize I'm just too much for you And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Speaking of voices, you might miss Stanley Fritz's voice. No, we don't. This <laughs> is the all-women show today. We're very empowered. Thank right. you, Beyonce. In honor of Lemonade, so we don't miss Stanley's voice. Well, hey, whatever, right? Well, he'll be back. No, Stanley's just going to call in in the middle of a segment <laughs> and just say something random. That doesn't make any sense. Right. But, Stanley, we love you. We're not hating. Not that much. Um, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little, a little bit. bit. All right, guys. Look, my name is Selena Hill. Here with Alyssa Fuchs and Tiffany Brown. Um, we're going straight into the news roundup. This is the time where we talk about some of the stories that really irked us or made us happy or, you know, something that we need to talk about in the last few weeks, right? Or the last few days. And if you have a story, you just want to chime in on one of the stories we're talking about, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. So last night, I, after I got home, because I went to, um, I was at an art viewing party in the Bronx. Shout out to Ron Draper. I got home and I stayed up to like 3 
3.30 a.m. watching more of the uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. It was Barack Obama's last one. And I was just like, no, Obama, don't leave us. Mm-hmm. So um, so Larry Wilmore was like the featured uh, keynote speaker. He's getting so much slack because a lot of people are saying his performance was lukewarm. His, jo- his jokes were a little off. Um, you know, he made a lot of racial jokes. And then he ended calling Obama the N-word. And I was like, yeah. He was like, Obama, you're my N. And then they gave each other a pound. Alexa, yes. you got to watch it. It was like, yeah, yes. boy. I've, I've yeah, boy. The only thing that I've seen about the Correspondence Center so far is the very end when Obama drops the mic. And I saw the clip that he did with John Boehner, which I loved. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my. Why couldn't they get along when he was actually in office, right? Like, I know. They feel, I feel like them. they're actually, like, friends. Like, they actually, like, enjoyed shooting that clip together. And, of course... You know, the best part of that clip was John Boehner saying that he had a beer at 1130 in the morning because there it's been long rumored that he likes to drink. He's an alcoholic. Basically, I don't know that for sure, but (laughs) that's the speculation. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) But Tiffany, you watched it twice. Yes, I watched it twice like a crazy person. (laughs) So I just felt it in the air that I was like, oh, we're going to be real black tonight. I felt it. And Obama, he gave us what we wanted because how many times, whether he gave the state of the state address or one of these dinners, we're like, Obama, you got to drop the mic on them and he dropped the mic like that was the best thing that he could have done and yes. i felt like he was giving us like someone to every tweet they was like he was giving us like a master class in like shade like whether he was like you know going at the media with the way they covered trump or you know just talking about how um what's his name ted cruz didn't understand like basketball or, like rim <laughs> or something like that he was like but i'm the foreign one <laughs> but it's like he has so many great like sound bites and when larry wilmore I feel like Larry Wilmore did exactly what we wanted him to do because if you look at the nightly show, if you understand the type of comedian he is, like he did it for the people on Black Twitter. He did it for Black folks who was tired of uh, President Obama being disrespected by these old white men in Congress. And when he ended with the N word, I thought it was so great because here it is, a bunch of white people who you know they can't say it. <laughs> you know they should, can't should, say that should word. The president should, should the president have said it? Before he though. leaves office, yeah, yeah, I want him he to. He got to, and he has to have a big old barbecue with all his cousins <laughs> on the White Kenya House lawn and from the block in Chicago. And he needs to turn up. That's what we need. Yes, <laughs> Obama. Need. Drop it's gonna be mic. ratchet party, White House lawn. Yes, Obama's yes. last day in office, which is January nineteenth, two thousand seventeen. Oh, we turn it out. That's before the apocalypse happens, <laughs> and when Trump becomes the president. Uh. Oh, my God. Yeah, that will be apocalyptic. Trump you know, becoming so president. speaking of Trump becoming president, obviously, we had five more primaries last Tuesday and Trump won all five of them. Wow. And Bernie won one and Hillary won four. And that's making Bernie's uh, path to the White House uh, a lot less likely. So I was just wanted to get your uh, feedback on the election and where it's heading. What are you thinking now? I know we were feeling the burn. I still love Bernie, um, but it's looking l- more and more like, uh, you know, Bernie's not going to be able to pull it off. So thoughts on uh, on the election, on Donald Trump, on Bernie, I, Hillary? I, I think Bernie still has a chance. What if he wins California? Even if he wins California, it's still going to be he's going to have to convince a lot of superdelegates to, to flip sides. And that's going to be pretty difficult. 
I mean, I don't know. I've been feeling the burn for a long time. I don't think he's burnt out. Like on words here. I think he's still going strong. But you know what? Again, like I said, his contributions to this elections have been so impactful. It has caused um, Hillary Clinton to fall more on the left when it comes to progressive politics. It has put a spotlight on her um, ties to Wall Street. I mean, Bernie, we needed him. Like it shouldn't have been just a walk in a park for Hillary Clinton. She had to fight. You know, she had to really um, narrow down her politics, especially when it came to black politics and Black Lives Matter. So shout out to Bernie. Even if he doesn't win, I will always feel the burn. Yeah, Hillary and her hot sauce. We talked about that last week. <laughs> Hillary does not have hot sauce in her bag. She needs to stop, stop lying, Hillary. We know you don't have hot sauce in your bag. Um, I feel like I'm just so, for lack of a I'm just not interested in this election because it just seems so... I'm interested in terms of, like, I just think Donald Trump is such... It's amazing to see his his uh, his current campaign from when he first started to now as a candidate, and the fact that he gave like you know a really questionable you know speech on foreign policy policy recently, and I think the way we talk about you know we always talk about how the world's going to end is going to be like doom and gloom and like the building's going to crash. That I really do think we're entering into a new sort of world where we have people like Donald Trump who funded both sides of the aisle is now can run for you know. Um, president you have someone like hillary clinton who's being called to task on calling you know young black men super predators and you think you have bernie sanders who i'm particularly not feeling the burn i do think he is the better candidate out of the the two but i'm tired of voting for the lesser of two evils and i think that's what we're starting to enter we're entering into a new phase hopefully of that you're going to see more independent candidates running you're going to see more people talk start talking about campaign finance reform because i think that's what the people want the reason why trump is winning because he's not i don't think he's saying anything different than what ted cruz or ryan paul or any of these other crazy guys uh that said that they're going to run for president i've been saying since that he's more crude and he's in your face but the people need to understand in this current system, I don't know how a billionaire is going to get you to the promised land. <laughs> right. I don't know how he's going to help someone, a rural farmer in Montana. I think they need to start asking him these hard questions. The same way we're giving it to Hillary and Bernie, I think we need to give it to Trump, too. And I think, you know, a lot of people are just enamored by the way he has bravado and all that. And that's great. I definitely think you should be, you know, a, a tough politician, especially when it comes to new United States politics. But... He, he's not offering the people anything except that, you know, I'm different from these other candidates, but not really because I funded these candidates. <laughs> so. yeah, that's a good point. No, that, that is a good point. Um, it's, 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 it's funny. But no, Bernie has been talking a lot about camp- campaign finance, though. So I'm surprised. Bernie's like, always been talking yeah, about campaign finance. Yeah, so I'm surprised finance. you don't feel the burn on that, Tiffany. I don't. I mean, wow. everyone looks like he's been marching with some friends. But what have you done for me lately, Bernie? <laughs> right. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? I don't, he's a senator from Vermont. I don't know. Yeah. So, well, you know, speaking of states, since you just mentioned Vermont, uh, as you know or have probably heard, lots of states have been trying to pass these anti-LGBT bathroom laws, which are based on a bathroom myth that doesn't exist. In fact, as I think I said this on the air a few weeks ago, more politicians have assaulted people in bathrooms than any trans. And there's never been any trans person that has ever assaulted anybody in a bathroom. But the NCAA, which is the National College Gate Athletic Association, which runs all 
not just basketball, but all college athletics at all colleges has said that cities with anti-LGBT laws can no longer host any NCAA tournaments because of the fact that it would put students at risk, like if they were trans or if they were LGBT um, and they had to go to a tournament in this state or in this city where there's this anti-LGBT law. So they've said, we're not going to allow you to host any more uh, NCAA events. And that's really hitting them where it hurts, which is in their pocket. I mean, these cities, these states make a lot of money off of hosting these events. So, you know, like that's like really looking at it and going, hey, you want to be discriminatory? You want to be a bigot? Well, you know, then no money for you. No, no, no. You're you're absolutely right. And I think that when it comes to these anti-LGBT laws, um, you know, it, it's, we're definitely taking a stance, right? And like you said, we're hitting them in the pockets because that seems to be something that all people can relate to, especially Republicans who are supposed to be fiscally conservative and all about making a lot of money. So, I mean, that that's what it takes. That's what it takes at this point. Tiffany? I just think these laws are so unfortunate. Um, I was right before we came in. Um, right, excuse me, right before I came in, I was listening to Ted Cruz. He was on CNN, and you know he's pretty much calling anyone who's transgender, you know, these like grown men molesters. And it was like, wow. And it was also, and um, he was responding to Caitlyn Jenner who went into the Trump uh, towers when she uh, used the bathroom. And it's like the Republicans are really good at putting out misinformation or slightly misinformation and then using scare tactics for people. And for the chances of you being in a bathroom with a transgender person are probably high. You didn't even realize it. Yeah. And we also have to come to a point where we're moving towards a society that we are trying to be more inclusive and more accepting. And if you really think that, you know, trans people are like lurking in the shadows, <laughs> trying just to get your pee. child, like they just need to you use know, the bathroom. Like we have to be practical. And I feel like, there's such like a lack of common sense. Is there like, just a lack uh, of common sense? It's like in the 60s, it wasn't about water fountains, right? right. It's exactly. not about bathrooms now. Like, that it's is not. just a sideshow. Like, literally, it's about discrimination. It's about other and different and, like, something you don't understand. And, like, that's, like, you know, just, like, there was that myth during the 1960s that, like, you had to have separate water fountains mm-hmm. because, I don't know, black, scary, mm-hmm. or something. Like, white people can't use these water fountains. Like, you point out, many people have probably gone into a bathroom with a trans person and used the bathroom and never even realized that the person they were in the bathroom with was trans. So, you know, like we have to stop with this, like, you know, like these types of politics where we're trying to demonize one group to make us feel better. And like this is we see the same thing where people like using religion as as a sword. Right. Like there's people like Selena that go to church. They have their faith. They, you know, like and but they don't wield that around and use it as a way to discriminate against other people. And then you have these people that are trying to say, like, Oh my God, because you're trying to live, you're somehow like offending my religious sensibilities. And you know, it's like the same thing. Another, like I said, it wasn't about water fountains, it's not about bathrooms. Like, same thing during the 60s, lots of people, 50s and 60s, lots of white people used religion as a way to justify segregation. And like, it wasn't about religion, it was about not wanting to like interact with people that were different than them. And I wish people would just say that <laughs> and and stop so, like yeah. Trying let to us back. know you're yeah, a bigot. Yeah, <laughs> like stop trying to pinpoint it on Christians mm-hmm. or like whatever your religious text is. Because if that's like a, a personal sentiment that you share, um, or or you just you know don't agree. I don't know. It just kind of puts us all in one category, and then you find yourself having to defend yourself, or you know, or or try to like really like justify and say, okay, well that person believes that because of that. Like that that person doesn't represent all of us and all of our beliefs. 
Right. I mean, and you can feel however, everybody's entitled to their opinion, wrong or right, or, you know, it's an opinion. It can't be like wrong or right. So if you're like my personal religion says that, you know, I'm not comfortable with people that are trans, like you're entitled to that. But what you're not allowed to do or you're not entitled to do is use that as a reason to discriminate against other people. No, yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Totally no, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And I know we have time for one more story. Um, well, Tiffany, did you want to bring something up? I did have a story. Okay, go oh, for it. So, um, um, I don't know if you guys heard, but there was a black teen charged with child pornography for sexting with uh, a young white girl in, in Louisiana. It's like Bosser Parish County. He's 17 years old. So apparently the young girl sent him a video first of, of doing, you know, doing an act on herself. And, you know, he responded with the same video. Long story short, the parents saw it called the cops and now this young teen was arrested and he's facing child pornography charges and he's 17 he's like an all-american athlete he plays three sports he's never been in any sort of trouble but he's black but he's black <laughs> <laughs> plot twist he's black and it was so unfortunate to hear this story because like here is a young black man who is going to be in a system unnecessarily right unnecessarily no one's talking about the younger and this is what i think sean king wrote about it um, in the daily news that, you know, the laws have to catch up with the modern technology, what we're we're experiencing these days. And Lieutenant uh, Bill Davis was said, he was like, I have nothing to say about that. It doesn't matter what your race, what your religion, what your ethnicity, don't do child pornography. And I was like, do you really think a 16, 17 year old is thinking of those terms of child pornography right. when their hormones are raging? You know, I actually, we've talked about this uh, briefly before, mm. but I actually took a class on sex offenders mm. and sex offender law when I was in law school. It was fascinating. We actually had my professor on to talk about issues uh, about sex offenders previously. You can check out our archive shows for that. It was a really great episode of Let Your Voice Be Heard. But this idea of like the law is not catching up with the times and technology. So basically, people have asked me about this. Like, how did this come about? And so federal child pornographies are pretty straightforward, which is if you are over a certain age and you receive or disseminate digital communications of somebody who is underage, that is considered child pornography. Now, the problem is that was created as a way to protect children and to protect women um, from being exploited and from, you know, what we would consider, quote unquote, actual child pornography, like somebody exploiting a young girl or a young boy to come engage in sex acts, to be filmed, to disseminate that as a movie on the internet or as pictures like Jared, the subway dude that's currently in jail. Like that was never meant to target teenagers that are doing things that like teenagers do, right? And so it's really unfortunate where we see situations where the laws have really like they've they've not caught up with the times. I mean, it's no different than like Two, I mean, two teenagers, they're having a conversation. Like, if he would have been 16 and she would have been 16, like, it, it wouldn't have been as much of an issue. The problem was that, like, he's 17, so, like, and, like, the law draws these lines, these arbitrary lines about, like, where, and she's 16. Like, if she, if they were both 18 and they wanted to trade nudies with each other, they wouldn't have been committing a crime. So, like, I really think we have to look at our child pornography laws and say, hey, like, we need to use these laws to go after people who are exploiting children, who are abducting children, who are actually engaging in creating child porno 
child pornography movies, but we shouldn't use these laws to apply to teenagers who most of us would agree are engaging in behavior that, you know, maybe they shouldn't be, but arguably isn't criminal. And somebody shouldn't be facing like long jail periods and like having to register for as a sex offender for, you know, receiving or sending some picture to somebody they actually care about. And I think that, you know, for the most part, the reason why it was so alarming for people is because it was a black kid, right? Mm -hmm. Don't, don't get it twisted like we saw the same thing happen in texas when that islamic kid brought a clock to school and everyone was up in arms thinking that that person was i'm um, thinking that that little child was trying to bomb the school because he's muslim like honestly race ethnicity the color of your skin plays a lot to do with it on that note we do have to take a quick break but when we come back we're going to be talking about the great barrier reef and why it is dying right here on let your voice be heard And we are back. So my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I am here with Selena Hill and Tiffany Brown. We just finished talking about Beyonce's Lemonade, and then we did our news roundup. And now we are switching gears, and we're going to talk about the Great Barrier Reef. So, ladies, I have a question for you. When you hear that someone you love or somebody you care about, or even a celebrity whose art you really appreciate, whether that be music or art or some other form of media, um, is very sick or is dying, um, how does that make you feel? It depends on who it is, but I remember when Michael Jackson died, I, I went through like a mini depression. Like I know I have family members that literally broke down and like I was crying for days. So I feel really sad. Tiffany? Same. I feel really sad. And we try to do everything in your power to make sure that person can keep living. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, what I mean, and, and that's a great point. You want to do everything in your power to make sure the person keeps living. Well, what happens if I told you that the Great Barrier Reef, the largest reef on the planet, which has the ability to affect all life on planet Earth, is very sick? Would that concern you? How would that make you feel? And like, would you want to do something about it? I mean, absolutely. I already like at the top of the show, I said that it brought tears to my eyes. Like this is a major part of the ecosystem. This is something that all ocean like a lot of ocean life depend on. And we depend on ocean life, too, as humans for a number in a number of different aspects. So, of course, Tiffany saying, you know, I work for an organization that that's like our big, you know, causes that environmental concerns. Um so, of course, I would want to, for us as people, to really, like, start talking about this. But I also know that when we talk about, you know, the environment, how can we, like, you know, contextualize it in ways that everyone can understand and get the urgency of why climate change needs to be addressed? So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the reason I bring that up is because, you know, obviously we've had a lot of celebrities pass away. People pay a lot of attention to it. It gets a lot of attention on social media. But unfortunately, the one thing that doesn't get enough attention on social media or just in our mainstream discourse is is issues that are like planetary issues that are being caused in some way by climate change. And it seems like a lot of times we focus on, you know, the death of a celebrity or, you know, the, the, that somebody that we care about who makes music, who's very sick or who might have a drug problem, but we don't, to pay the same kind of attention to our dying planet and by the time we realize that we need to be paying attention it's like oh my god it's too late like we need to do something but we, how come we weren't doing something or focusing on this before so I bring this up because Australia's National Coral Reef uh, Coral Bleaching Task Force surveyed 911 coral reefs in the Great Barrier Reef which is the largest coral reef on the planet and they found at least some bleaching on 93% of the reef uh, now the amount of damage varies um, from severe to moderate but the bleaching uh, was the worst in the reef's northernmost sector, sector where virtually none 
none of the coral reef escaped the bleaching. Between 60 and 100% of corals are severely bleached on nearly 316 reefs within the Great Barrier Reef, and nearly all of the northern half of the reef is bleached. The scientists who looked at this study also reported that based on diving surveys of the northern reef, they already are seeing 50% coral death. Um, By far, this is the worst bleaching that scientists have seen on the Great Barrier Reef, and Great Barrier Reefs, while Great Barrier Reef corals do have a mechanism to protect them if waters are warm beyond normal temperatures and then cool down again before a second warming occurs, but there's a point at which this crosses the bleaching threshold. And as the oceans continue to warm, um, the patterns that coral reefs normally go through will be less and less prevalent, which means more corals will be less able to cope with warming temperatures and they too will die. As our climate continues to warm due to human activity, it will have a great impact on our oceans and on all life on the planet. On that note, we have a great person on the phone to talk to us about this issue. His name is Dr. Noah Diffenbog. He's an associate professor and senior fellow at the Stanford University. He is currently the editor-in-chief of the peer-reviewed journal of geophysical research letters, and he has served as lead author for the working group of the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change, which is the IPCC, and has provided testimony and scientific expertise to the White House. Uh, good morning, or actually good afternoon, uh, Mr. Uh, Doctor. Did I have this right? Dr. Diffenbog, Correct. Uh, correct. How you doing? Great. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, morning out here in California. Oh, That's perfect. what I was going to say. It's really early over there. Excellent. So, uh, well, thank you for being on with us so early. And I want to start by, by asking you, did I get all of that information correct? And can you give us a more detailed explanation about what exactly is happening with the Great Barrier Reef? What does it mean when we say that 93% of the reef is bleached? Well, so what we're seeing uh, in the Great Barrier Reef and actually, um, you know, around the world's oceans this year is uh, massive bleaching of uh, corals. And, you know, what this, this word bleaching, you know, what it means is, is that, the, you know, the corals are actually um, what scientists call symbionts. So there's, a, there's actually an animal and um, like a phytoplankton, which is really a plant, living together. And and the uh, so so the 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 plant is is photosynthesizing um, uh, and that's actually so they're actually two organisms living together and what the bleaching means is when the animal expels uh, the the phytoplankton uh, from its body and so you see these pictures of these uh, you know just all white. Uh, very light-colored looking corals, very uh, few, if any, fish uh, on the coral reef, and, and that's what you see in these, in these bleaching events. So it's, it's not like Clorox bleach um, in the wash. Uh, it's actually, it, uh, it happens when, when temperature gets very hot, when the corals get stressed. Um, and so we're seeing that not only in the, in the Great Barrier Reef, but actually even more broadly uh, uh, around the, the the world's oceans this year, and uh, what this is, um, you know, there are a lot of effects that that contribute to this. But what we're seeing this year are these record high temperatures in the ocean. So, uh, 2015 was the warmest year we have on record uh, for the global temperature, and that's being felt really um, strongly in the ocean. And into 2016, now it's really um, it's been even warmer in 2016. 
you know, I'm going to get to the warming in, in just a second. But I wanted to ask you, what is the difference between when we say that the reef is bleached and when we see that the reef is is dead? Because I think that can sometimes be confusing to people. The way I understand it is that bleaching is the first step sort of towards reef death. and that, um, But that bleaching doesn't actually mean that the reef is dead. So I was hoping that you can clarify uh, for our listeners and for us what the difference is when we say something is bleached versus when we say that the coral reef is actually dead. Yeah, that's a great point, because um, you know, actually, you know, corals do recover from these bleaching events, and the question really for any one of these bleaching events in any part of the ocean, the, the real question is, will the corals be able to recover? And uh, even on one reef, some corals will be bleached and some won't. Some will recover and some will die. And, you know, what, what scientists are really concerned about is that these these events are happening in closer succession as the ocean warms. And the, one of my colleagues that you know, that studies corals, that goes out and, and uh, you know, swims with the corals, he described it like a forest. Um, like if you if you come and clear cut a forest, and then give another forty years for the forest to grow back, there'll be a forest there again. Whereas if you come through and, and clear cut every 10 or 15 years, you won't ever grow a forest, right? There's not enough time for the tall trees to grow back. And that's kind of how he described the the issue with the corals right now is that the time that it takes to recover from one of these bleaching events is pretty long. And if the the real concern is is one that these bleaching events are severe, which means uh, there's a greater risk that more of the corals will die, fully die during this bleaching event, but then also that because uh, the oceans are warming up so fast that they're much more likely to face these kinds of conditions again sooner in the future, that clear-cutting coming through uh, sooner in the future than if we didn't have global warming. Right. No, absolutely. Um, if you're listening, uh, I'm Alyssa Fuchs. I'm here with Selena Hill and Tiffany Brown. We're talking to Dr. Noah Diffenbach, who is the Associate Professor and Senior Fellow at Stanford University. And we're specifically talking about the death, oh, I'm sorry, the bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef. Um, and, you know, a lot for a lot of people, we're, you know, I'm going to come back to the climate change thing, because for a lot of people, they struggle to understand why they should care about this issue. Um, they don't realize, like, what kind of impact this would have on the planet as a whole. And on that note, I'm actually going to throw it to Selena and then to Tiffany. They have some follow-up questions for you about why people should really care about this issue. Selena? No, I mean, well, that pretty much did sum up my my question because, you know, I'm reading about it and, you know, I'm someone like... I snorkeling is one of my favorite pastimes right so I feel like I I like I feel connected to the ocean and I love it and I'm just imagining like you know when I've snorkeled over coral reef it's such a beautiful sight and I I can't imagine something that you know nature has given us something that is the God given us just destroying it and I'm like you know for me that would be impactful but I'm not sure if other people who aren't from Australia or who don't particularly like the ocean would feel connected to this issue so can you tell us like what some of the effects might be? Well, you know, coral, coral ecosystems are really important for uh, life in the ocean, um, and so there's just there's the there's the fact of, of what it means for those ocean ecosystems. Uh, they're they're also important for humans in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, communities that rely on coral reef ecosystems for food uh, and for livelihood. Um, and and those those communities are are vulnerable to these kinds of environmental uh, stresses that can that can affect the the um, just the health of those ecosystems that they rely on. Uh, and then there's 
you know, the, the snorkeling, like you mentioned, that it actually the ecotourism is actually a very big source of income to a lot of these um, these countries where these coral reef ecosystems are, and uh, that's that that's a non-trivial impact, right? That's a real impact if uh, you know, because of that economic input from um, people coming from around the world to experience these these ecosystems, and so the loss of those ecosystems has economic implications for those communities out you know in addition to, to the to the um, the local subsistence from from food and um, on those reefs so there's certainly from the human perspective uh, there's a lot right. of reasons to care about those ecosystems I think the other the other important point is that these are this is really an indicator of you know what scientists have been um, predicting from climate change for for a long time, and what we've been seeing in a lot of different ecosystems. It's really that these extreme events are where uh, we really are feeling the impacts of of global warming, and this isn't right. something that's uh, way down in the future, a hundred years from now. It's something that we're already seeing from the global warming authority. Right, and we're definitely going to talk more about global warming and climate change. But one of the things that you mentioned was the tourism aspect. And I just wanted to say that the reefs tourism sector actually employs 64,000 people. So we don't need 64,000 people out of a job. And that's just the Great Barrier Reef. That's not other reefs in the Caribbean. Tiffany? Oh, yeah. So my question is, like, do you see that there's going to either be some sanctions or limitations on the tourist industry in those areas? And how would that impact, you know, the economy uh in those uh, those areas that you don't really benefit from, you know, uh, snorkeling or like cruise lines or even like deep diving and things like that. Well, there's certainly a lot of people that are um, you know working hard to try to figure out how to make these ecosystems sustainable. And it's important to keep in mind that it's not just it's not just um, ocean temperature and 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 climate change that are affecting these these systems. So. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stresses. Uh, there's the 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 actual tourism itself actually can be very stressful for these systems, and um, you know, sort of all of the all of the people uh, kind of kicking <laughs> kicking their fins at the corals uh, as they're uh, as they're uh, snorkeling. Right, that, that that has a really direct impact. Um, all the activity on land. Uh, that, that brings sediments into the into the coastal ocean, brings nutrients, um, say from farming, fertilizer being applied. So there's a lot of different dimensions to the problem, uh, and each of these is kind of an additive stressor, as, as scientists say. So you can think about kind of thumbs on a scale, right? If you have, um, you know, we keep adding weight to the other side of the scale with all of these different stressors. Uh, so, um, you know, the... the it's really about the thresholds, and that's what we're seeing here. Is we have we have ecosystems that are already stressed, and then they're experiencing a, a, an environmental, you know, experiencing environmental conditions in terms of the ocean temperatures that are outside of anything that they've experienced uh, in in recorded history. Right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk more about climate change, about the bleaching of the reef, and about what maybe we could do to reverse course. Um, and so. We will see you in just a few minutes. 
And we are back. So my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I am here with Tiffany Brown and Selena Hill. And we are speaking to Dr. Noah Diffenbaugh from Stanford University about climate change and the Great Barrier Reef. If you have a question or a comment, feel free to call us at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio, or you can leave a comment on Politically Preposterous fan page, and we will try and get it on the air. Uh, So, uh, Dr. Diffenbaugh, we've been talking a lot about the reef and the bleaching. Um, and I know you've mentioned multiple times about the increased water temperatures. Um, so a lot of people have said that there is a link between, and a lot of studies have been done, uh, that show that there is a link between the rising water temperatures, the bleaching of the reef, and global climate change. Um, However, there's been other people have attributed this to uh, an El Nino event and say that it is isolated um, and that it is not as directly linked to climate change as uh, some other scientists are saying. So my question to you is uh, specifically, is this linked to global warming climate change um, and how do we know that? What studies have been done? And maybe you can fill us in on some of that information. Well, you know, both of those scientific perspectives that you that you just stated are actually true. I mean, um, you know, in terms of what's contributing to this year, right? So we know that, you know, a lot of the ocean is, is really, really warm this year uh, because of the El Nino event. And it's not just any El Nino event. It's a really strong El Nino. And what El Nino is, is it, it's really just a, it's a measure of the, how warm the water temperature is in the tropical Pacific Ocean. But because the the, uh, the the atmosphere and the ocean circulate globally, everything's connected. And El Nino, when there are these years with really warm waters in the tropical Pacific, uh, they affect the the ocean atmosphere around the world. And so that's what we're experiencing right now. Um, but it's also true that uh, temperature is going up. Uh, in you know, regardless of whether it's an El Nino year or not, and so what we're experiencing this year is are the additive effects of both a really really warm El Nino year and the long term trend of global warming. And so it's really not an either or question. It's really a question of what does it take to to get to these extreme thresholds uh, that that these corals are experiencing, and or frankly that we're experiencing in California during this drought with with record warm temperatures and, and that lo- a lot, lots of the globe, the, the, gar- the Arctic is experiencing record low sea ice this winter, record high temperatures, right? So we're seeing this around the globe and it's, it's not a question of is it, is it that it's a really outlier year or is it that there's a long-term trend? It's really that when you have both of those together, uh, you, you get these really extreme conditions. Uh, what we do know from the, from these areas, um, particularly in the tropics where, where a lot of these, these, tropical coral ecosystems are, is that the, the warming has really been um, large historically compared to the, the level of variability. No, you're absolutely right about that, Doctor. And I just wanted to add to, um, in India, we had a, a, we saw a huge heat wave last year that killed dozens, hundreds of people. Um, and you're right. So the, the effects are obvious. It's blatant that the 
you know, ocean life is dying. People are dying. Our, our, our nature, our environment is dying. And it's like, like you said, climate change is very real. Science backs it up. Um, and it's time for us to act. What do you say? I mean, what do you think as an environmentalist and an activist in this front? Um, what is one of the biggest challenges in actually taking some steps to fight against climate change? Not, you know, some things are reversible. And we need to act now. What do you think that the biggest obstacle is right now to, to get that done? Well, the first thing I should say in answer to that question is that I'm uh, a scientist and a professor. Oh, excuse uh, I am me. Not, I'm not an environmentalist and I'm not an activist. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spe- I spend all my time trying to figure out what's going on in the climate system. You know, how, the, okay. how, how does the world work? So I just want to be clear about that. Uh, you know, really it's a, you know, the, what any individual citizen or what any, any individual country decides to do is really that, that's a matter of choice. What is clear is that we know that, that climate change is happening. We know that uh, humans are the primary cause of that climate change that's happening. And we know that the more uh, that we continue to emit greenhouse gases, uh, the more global warming and climate change that we'll have. Um, so, you know, the Paris uh, Agreement in, by, the, by the UN that, uh, you know, was, was uh, agreed upon in, in Paris in December and, and now has just been... Um, Ratified by uh, by uh, the UN um, nations uh, just recently, um, you know that that's a that's a really big step because what that agreement does is it says that the that the world community is committed to uh, transitioning from the current uh, energy economy that we have, which is based on fossil fuels, to to a new energy economy that that uh, is not based on on these carbon intensive um, energy sources, but instead is uh, is a carbon-free energy economy, and that's really the bottom line. Is what it's going to take to stop global warming from happening is uh, to have a you know, stop emitting greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. There's not really any way around that, and that's a big challenge because we get a lot of benefit from consuming energy. I get a lot of benefit from consuming energy. Um, you know, people all around the world get a lot of benefit from consuming energy, and really, where we have really abject poverty uh, around the world, it's, it's linked very closely to lack of access to, to modern energy resources. And so I think the real question uh, is how do we ensure, um, you know, a, a, a standard of living, a level of well-being, uh, which does require access to energy, how do we ensure that for all people in the world while uh, minimizing the amount of global warming and climate change that we have? Absolutely, right. absolutely. Tiffany? Uh, uh, thank you uh, for bringing up the point about um, abject poverty, and especially when we talk about um, when it comes to environmental concerns. And what would you th- what would you suggest be the best way to talk about these issues, let's say, to like a group of like inner city children? Because I feel like a lot of times when you talk about the environment, it's very much, you know, almost like abstract. You know, you're talking about the coral reefs or you're talking about, you know, like the bees. But how can you really break it down so people can understand, like I said earlier, the urgency of this issue and why we need to be invested whether you are a kid from Brooklyn or you know you live along the coastal line of you know the coral reefs well you know that's a that's a great question and, and what we see when we look just objectively at um, at the data uh, there, there's really a, a very high correlation between poverty and vulnerability to to the climate system and also vulnerability to um, pollution from energy 
uh, from the energy um, economy. So a couple of examples. Um, you know, I live here in the Bay Area. We have many of the richest people in the world live here. Uh, we have you know, this enormous engine of, of not only innovation but of economic activity. And we also have a huge disparity in um, in well-being and in, in access to um, you know to healthcare and and uh, just and, and we and frankly you know we have we have a lot of poverty here in the Bay Area and where we have we also have um, we have energy uh, we have some energy infrastructure we have oil refinery here in the East Bay and it is you know it's located right in one of the poorest communities in the in the Bay Area and they have real environmental health problems from being uh, next to this oil refinery. So that's one example where this modern, you know, kind of the way we do energy business actually has big health effects, and, and those health effects are, are concentrated where, uh, where there's the least resources to, uh, to deal with the problem. We also know that from, like, extreme climate events like heat waves, you described the situation in India, heat waves, floods, um, you know, those, those extreme events that, that people that have um, poor, people who have less money have less uh, resources to protect themselves, right? So you can imagine living in a thatched hut versus, uh, you know, a, a reinforced house uh, like mine, for example, right? When the, exactly the same, um, you know, heavy rainfall happens, exactly the same high wind happens, uh, I'm, I'm going to be safer in my house than someone living, living in a thatched hut. Absolutely. That's that's a great point. And actually, I just wanted to make a comment about poverty. You know, we talked about poverty and access to energy at the same time. Um, the other side of that coin is when we see global warming events, um, we see like droughts and disruptions in the food supply. Those lead to displacements and those kinds of things. The impacts of global warming are also definitely felt um, more by people who live in poverty, which is related to what the doctor just said, than they are to people who have money. So it's another place where there is a class divide. And a lot of times where we see class divides, we also see race divides because of the way that class and race intersect together. So I think we should definitely keep that in mind when we're talking about access to energy. But we're also talking about the effects that global warming has on uh, the planet and on the people of the planet. On that note, I'm actually going to go to ask you our last question, uh, doctor. And then I'm going to after you answer the question, I'm hoping that you could just give our listeners some information on where they can find out more about this issue, uh, which is. Is there anything we can do? I know we already mentioned reducing greenhouse gases. I don't want to get into the things that we can do to, to stop global warming particularly, um, but I want specifically to ask about the reef. Is there anything um, other than just, you know, trying to reduce global climate change that we can do about the reef specifically, um, and or is it too late? And if so, if there is something we can do about the reef, what is it? Um, and obviously, uh, presuming we already know that we need to reduce greenhouse emissions in order to lower uh, lower temperatures and and to prevent global warming from progressing. Yeah, so there are people who are, uh, you know, trying to figure out, um, you know, solutions that can really be, you know, put in place locally. And actually, I have a colleague here at Stanford that's working on understanding the genetics of the corals that survive these kinds of bleaching events, because there are corals that, that do survive them. And so he's trying to figure out what the genetics are and then see if, if you know, you can repopulate reefs with those uh, with those kinds of corals that have uh, more resistance to to these kind of bleaching events, and that so that's really promising. Um, you know, also how how we uh, you know protect reefs um, in terms of where there's where there's really intensive fishing, where there's intensive tourism, 
conserving some some um, areas that that uh, can be preserved, you know, that don't get as much stress because it really is the additive stress of high temperature and ocean acidification and uh, people kicking at the corals and sedimentation from land use. So having some areas that are conserved uh, and isolated is going to make them more resilient to these kinds of environmental effects. Uh, so there are there are kind of both from the conservation point of view and from the um, kind of re, repopulation or restoration point of view, there are there are some promising possibilities. Uh, if people want to learn more, certainly for the Great Barrier Reef situation, the the uh, the, the Australian government has some great information, um, and uh, and the universities down in Australia, those are available online. Uh, also, you know, climate.gov here in the U.S. for the for the issues of um, climate change uh, here in the U.S., uh, you know, the, the, the current uh, administration has done a, a lot uh, on this issue. Uh, there's a lot of information available at climate.gov, um, and that'd be a great place to start. Thank you so much, Doctor. We really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with us. Um, on that note, you know, I, I spoke at the beginning about how we pay a lot of attention to to the to celebrities and to people we care about, um, but a lot of times we don't pay attention to our own planet. And our planet, unfortunately, happens to not be in such good shape right now. And we really need to pay attention to this issue of climate change and to deal with these problems as soon as possible, or we're going to continue to change our planet beyond a point where any human life is going to be able to be sustained. As we know, whether you're religious or you're not religious, most people would say that life is a gift. And the fact that we are able to live here on this blue planet, when there are so many things like temperature going up or down one degree over amount of time in a certain direction would lead to the extinction of all life on the planet. So we're really, really privileged to have this wonderful planet where we all live and we have to care about it and we have to be concerned about it. At least 19% of all the world's coral reefs are already gone. Some 50% of those in the Caribbean are gone. An additional 15% of our coral reefs could be dead within the next 20 years, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Atmospheric Administration. Scientists are warning, warning that if global warning continues unchecked, all of the coral reefs could be extinct within the next 100 years. That may not be in our lifetime, but that's in your children's lifetime, in your grandchildren's lifetime, and you want to be able to leave your children and your grandchildren a better planet. You know what else? Do you like seafood? Because I might not, but I know many people that do. <laughs> this um, is like I don't, but you probably but you don't. might. And you know what? Coral reefs are a big part of the foundation of our ocean food chain and about on our food chain as a whole. Nearly half of the fish in the world that we eat make their homes around coral reefs. Hundreds of millions of people worldwide and over one billion people across Asia alone depend on coral reefs for their food and for their livelihoods. A complete collapse of the marine ecosystem would be absolutely devastating to global food supplies. It would cost us millions of food supplies, millions of jobs. It would affect ocean fisheries that provide direct employment to at least 38 million people worldwide and an additional 162 million people throughout the world that indirectly make a living involving the coral reefs, whether it's through tourism or through the food supply. Or in addition, some types of coral and marine species rely on reefs are being used by the pharmaceutical industry to develop possible cures for cancer, cancer, sorry, arthritis and other viruses. 
challenges. Reefs are precious sources of food, medicine, and livelihood for hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. And while I said, while this may, you may feel that this doesn't affect you directly, it does, and it's affecting your children and your grandchildren, and we need to do something to deal with global climate change, and we need to do something to deal with it now. Because if we wait around and we pretend like this isn't affecting us, eventually we're going to reach a point where by the time we get our butt in gear and we want to do something, it's going to be too late. On that note, we're going to take a real quick break, and when I come back, I'm going to talk about another thing that pisses me off, which is people getting away potentially with bribery. Harlem has its own radio station. WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back. So I'm going to start with uh, talking about um, bribery. You know, guys know what bribery is? You ever sure do. Before? Uh, I think I may have. Uh, and, and maybe, I don't know. I don't think I've been blackmailed, but I think I've been bribed. Okay. Well, bribery is essentially <laughs> when somebody offers you money or goods or services because they want you to use your power and your influence to do something. So if I was like, say, Selena, I got a friend and he wants to get his his CD played on the radio and he's going to offer you $100 right now. And you're like, well, you know. I'll use my position of power on Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio to get him on for enough money. That would be an example of bribery. That would be separate and apart from if somebody came to you and wanted to do a business deal. This is, we're talking about somebody is using money or they're, you know, over you uh, to get your influence. Well, why am I talking about this? Well, on November 3rd, 2009, Robert F. McDonald, who was the former governor of Virginia, um, he was, I'm sorry, he was elected. uh, He was elected. Now he's the former governor. But he was elected on November 3rd, 2009. And shortly after his election, he met with a woman whose name was Joni, I'm sorry, or maybe a man, Joni Williams, the founder and CEO of Star Scientific, uh, which is also known as Star. Um, And Star was trying to market a product called Antiblock. And Antiblock is a product that they said could treat chronic inflammation. Now, Star wanted the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration, to classify Antiblock as a pharmaceutical. And the reason they wanted it classified as a pharmaceutical and not not a quote unquote natural remedy is because if something is sold as a pharmaceutical, you can ask for more money for your product, whereas something is classified as a natural remedy. It is not as profitable. However, if you want a pharmaceutical classification, that requires you to do expensive testing, clinical trials, lab studies, and Star Scientific lacked the funding to do these things. So what did they do? Well, they sent Joni Williams to meet with the governor. And the purpose of Joni Williams going to meet with the governor um, several times between 2009 and 2012 was essentially to get Antiblock this benefit um, that they wanted, which was to have it classified as a pharmaceutical. So what did they do? Well, between 2009 and 2012, Williams provided expensive gifts to Governor McDonnell and his wife, said that he was willing to help him financially because the governor was in some financial troubles and some debts. Um, they, the, they, launched an event for Antiblock that was actually held at the governor's mansion. Mrs. McDonald facilitated meetings between star officials and officials at the University of Virginia, uh, which is where they were going to potentially be doing these studies, which would help star get its pharmaceutical classification. Um, And Mrs. McDonald also purchased and sold and gifted star stock in ways that would avoid reporting requirements that are required by the SEC. 
Um, there was also a Rolex, a car. There were so many other things going on um, and gifts that were bought for Mr. McDonald and for his wife. So eventually the McDonald's were arrested and they were charged with corruption under federal bribery laws, which make it crimes to take anything of value in return for performing an official government act. Now, that law only applies to federal officials, but it bans the performing of quote unquote official acts in return for gifts or payments um, and it is borrowed from other laws that were used in McDonald's case. Uh, eventually, there was a trial and Governor McDonald was tried and he was actually found guilty on 11 counts of corruption. He then appealed his conviction to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit, who affirmed his conviction. After that, he was like, oh, wait. I only have one more side left, so I'm going to go to the Supreme Court. And now Governor McDonald is asking the Supreme Court to overturn his bribery conviction. Um, so there obviously is some legal stuff going on here that I'm going to break down for you. The actual question that the Supreme Court has to answer is as follows, which is for the purposes of federal bribery laws, is an official action, quote unquote, limited to the exercise or the threatened exercise of using your actual government power or... Could official action is not limited to the exercise of actual government power, meaning even if you do something that's not, quote unquote, your in your official capacity, that's an actual thing. Like, is the fact that you're a governor and you're taking some action for this per- person, even if it's not, quote unquote, official action, does that qualify under the bribery statute? Now. When I say statute, I mean law, just for clarification purposes. So now the governor argues that he did not actually take any official action on behalf of Antiblock R. Williams, and therefore he isn't actually guilty of bribery. He is also arguing that the federal bribery law is unconstitutional because it does not specifically define what quote unquote official action means, and therefore the law is too vague and it could potentially be criminalizing things that shouldn't be criminal To begin with, sort of like we talked about during the news roundup when I talked about these teenagers sexting each other and how, like, that is conduct that really shouldn't be criminal. Well, that's basically what he's arguing, which is, like, what I did, like, if you define this as this law so broadly, it would... It would count for so many different acts that politicians normally take on an everyday basis. And therefore, like anything I ever did and would be potentially considered criminal. And therefore, every politician who ever did anything or met with anybody or played around a golf with anybody or went out to eat with anybody would be potentially subject to criminal violations for that. And they're saying, well, that can't be possible because like that would basically have a a huge effect on the way politicians uh, do business. Now, we could get into a conversation about whether that should have that effect on the way politicians do business, but we're not going to get into that right here, right now. So what does this all actually mean? Well, the governor is saying that officials, elected officials do not commit bribery unless they actually take money or something else of value. And then in return, they use their government authority to influence an outcome that is favorable to that person or that company. They are describing this as a difference between access and influence. And they are claiming that doing something as an independent decision maker, as I just pointed out, does not cross the bribery line because it does not constitute, quote unquote, official government action. Now, the government, of course, argues that the actions that McDonald took did cross these lines, that he did use his official uh, uh, that And they also argue that the bribery law is not vague and that the things he did were very clear 
crossing these lines. This was not about access. He was using his official capacity as the governor to influence outcomes that would be favorable to Antibloch, and therefore this bribery conviction should stand. So what are the possible outcomes of this case? Well, of course, McDonald wants at minimum for the court to overturn the verdict and to set a new trial for him, at which the judge would be under much narrower orders, where it would be significantly harder and the actions defined would be much narrower. So it would be significantly harder to convict somebody under this more narrowly defined definition of what official action is. Uh, The justices, even the liberal ones, seem very skeptical of the government's arguments. As I mentioned at the beginning, as a criminal defense attorney, like, it's very hard. It puts me in this rare position as somebody who's pretty liberal and who also doesn't like government corruption and doesn't like right-wing legislatures that think they have the right to stick a ultrasound where the sun don't shine, um, but think that they can take Rolexes and Mercedes and all these different kinds of handouts in order to do favors for these rich people. Um, You know, like that really bothers me. But from a criminal defense perspective, I'm like, I have to scratch my head and be like, hmm, you know, maybe he's actually making a decent point that like, maybe we're defining this too broadly. And like, yeah, we don't want to get in a situation where like every time any public official like even has lunch with somebody that we could be like, oh, you're now potentially getting right. charged with with bribery because like that would have a huge effect on the way things are done. So, the uh, you know, even the liberal justices seemed very skeptical of the government's arguments. On many occasions, the justices gave examples of actions that might violate the law and they asked the government whether that would cross the line into bribery. And the government lawyer had a really hard time trying to answer that question. So the court is clearly expressing some concerns about these kind of routine cur- and communications that public officials engage in and suggesting that, you know, maybe the Department of Justice has too much power uh, in trying to prosecute the way these things happen. So here's some possible outcomes. There are three of them. And uh, so they could find that the bribery law is not vague and therefore that there's a clear line between actions that violate it and those that do not. And they can actually uphold his conviction and say, you must go to jail. Do not collect $200. Do not pass. Go. You go straight to jail. Um, Uh, They could uphold the law as being constitutional, but they could narrowly define what kinds of government action actually violate the bribery law, in which case they could actually overturn his conviction and send it back down and order a new trial under this narrower definition where it's going to be harder to convict him, or that they could find the bribery law is vague and it's unconstitutional. They can strike down the law and throw his conviction out completely. And on that note, I'm going to throw it back to Selena to close it out. No, thank you so much, Alyssa, for giving us the breakdown. And that is a conflicting case, especially where you fall when it comes to, like, being liberal and progressive and just that broad, you know, just that broad definition of bribery. So thank you for that. And, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and hanging out with us here on Sunday. Don't worry if you missed the show, you want to listen again or share it. You can subscribe to our podcast at LYVBH Radio on iTunes. You can also check out our website, LYVBH.com. Of course, that's the acronym for Let Your Voice Be Heard. We love you guys and we'll see you next week take care